I want to invite you to turn with me to Nehemiah. Nehemiah in chapter, we'll be mainly in chapter 4. We are going to skip around some, uh, but we'll be mainly in chapter 4 of Nehemiah. Forward by faith and facing opposition. You know, this weekend is Memorial Day weekend. And as um, a neighbor girl was in our house a little bit yesterday afternoon, we, we were talking about it. And she says, yeah, I don't really know, you know, I don't know what the big deal is about this weekend. Uh, we don't celebrate a lot. And, uh, you know, we studied about it in school. And, but I just, I just don't see the big deal. And so I talked through, you know, with her. And I said, well... Um, and her, her, her dad is in the reserves, her mom is full-time military, and I said, imagine, you know, if uh, someone, a country attacked the United States of America, your parents were called to serve uh, in the war and were, were deployed, and then gave their life as an ultimate sacrifice. Uh, it would mean, I think, a lot to you in the years to come for them to be remembered for that sacrifice that they made. And, uh, of course, as a young girl, she's learning these things, and she, I think it kind of sunk in a little bit. Um, and, and at the time, I was working on my, my message, and she said, you know, what are you doing? I said, well, just like they gave a sacrifice, Jesus gave an ultimate sacrifice on the cross for our freedom, for our spiritual freedom. And all the more reason that we have as followers of Christ, as we... Certainly, I hope that this weekend will not just be a weekend maybe for some of you of a grill out or uh, maybe sleeping in a little bit more on Monday or traveling or whatever it may be, but I pray that it will be a weekend of reflection. I pray that it will be a weekend of thankfulness of uh, many who have gone before us. Uh, and we, we have an interesting reminder right in front of our house, the cemetery that, that sits there, Mars Hill Cemetery. And as Kim and I were walking through, uh, cutting through the cemetery to the neighborhood next to us the other day, we met uh, a gentleman who was preparing for a Memorial Day gathering. It'll happen this afternoon, I think, at 3 o'clock. They do it every year, and uh, people get together that have uh, taken care of the cemetery for decades, and they have some music, what he told us, and, and some other things. I don't know all of what they do, but it was interesting as we talked to John Austin, who has lived within five miles of that cemetery his whole life. And he said, yep, he said, it's interesting to note that in this little cemetery, there are veterans that represent every major war that the United States has participated in, all the way from the Revolutionary War, uh, you know, up till recent times. So as we walk through that cemetery, I often think about things like that, especially, you know, after, and I mentioned to to some of you a while back, after I saw that Revolutionary War uh, uh, tombstone that has made me think all of the people that have gone before us, and I don't know all of those veterans' stories, but I'm thankful for their service, and I'm thankful for some who, who did give their life fighting for to secure or to preserve our freedom. So as we admire that, as we give thanks for that, how much more then, as followers of Christ, should we be moved to be thankful, but also to live for Jesus Christ, who gave the ultimate sacrifice. How, how much more willing should we be to face persecution even, and opposition, as we will see today that Nehemiah faced opposition in doing what God called him to do. As we are followers of Christ, it's not, it's not something that may happen, but it will happen. We will face some type of opposition 
for following Christ. In fact, John 15, verses 18 and 19, it says this, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So as we face different ideas, different philosophies of life, different worldviews, as we live a countercultural life, may we remember that is part of being a follower of Christ. We shouldn't do it with arrogance. We should do it with, with humility, but with great courage and, and, and passion, rather, to serve him. We see Nehemiah and as leading people to face the opposition. I want to look, first of all, in Nehemiah uh, chapter 2. We'll be in Nehemiah chapter 4 mainly, but look with me in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 19. There's several strategies that the opposition uses as Nehemiah is leading his people to continue the, the reconstruction of the walls around Jerusalem. And we see, first of all, that there's, there's discouragement, the strategy of discouragement, using criticism and mockery to, uh, even with words, try to get God's people to stop their work. I would imagine that at some point, maybe in this very gym or in the classrooms in this school, uh, maybe some kids have even repeated the very common phrase that many of us have heard since we were little. Sticks and stones break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Really? We all know that's not true. Sometimes the greatest hurts and the greatest uh, difficulties come by verbal attacks. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 19 says, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, servant and Geshem the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So right off, they begin to face opposition. Now, Nehemiah has no doubt that God has called him to lead the people on this task. God has already shown his hand in strong ways to provide uh, protection along the way, to move the heart of the king, uh, to, to reopen this reconstruction project. But yet, as they begin, then they face opposition. And it would be easy, not only for Nehemiah, but it's easy for us to then question. Say, well, God, didn't you call me to do this? Why are we facing so much opposition? As we go on in Nehemiah chapter 4, look with me in verses 1 through 3. Nehemiah 4 and verses 1 through 3. Now when Sambalat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers, and notice this, and of the army of Samaria. And we'll see in a little bit that this was kind of another element of their strategy is intimidation. But if, right now, it's mainly verbal. Right now, it's mainly just mockery and criticism. But we'll see that the army uh, in the presence of Sam Ballot and, and physical force will come into play. So he said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? So, I mean, right, he, he, he just, in clear words, he's trying to already discourage them, already to get them to doubt and, you know, he's, it's a pretty good strategy because for years the wall has remained in ruins. So as he kind of picks a sore spot and he goes, 
what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? And then notice this. Will they finish up in a day? Classic gift of sarcasm. You know, help, trying to make the Jews to look around and to begin to consider the vast size of this project and maybe begin to think already in the very beginning, Nehemiah, we cannot do this. What are you thinking? Can, you, can they finish this in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish? And then he says, and burned ones at that? I mean, it wasn't like it just fell, but it's burned. goes on. Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what they are building, what they are building. If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Now, were all these Jews experienced masons? That they, they, they were bricklayers by trade, yes or no? No. So this, this is a, it is a good strategy in the sense for the enemy to go, you know, what are you doing? You're feeble, you're weak. You think you're going to finish this in a day? Do you have any idea how long this project is? And if a fox went up on top of the wall, it would fall down. Discouragement. Think back about the 12 spies. You know, maybe as a kid you sang, some of us sang the song, uh, 10 were bad and 2 were good. The 10 were bad because why? They went and they saw the size of the walls and the men and they came back to the rest of the people and they discouraged them and they said, no, no, we can't. We can't do this. They didn't even start because they were discouraged by the criticism even of the 10 bad spies. As Goliath taunted Israel's army, another example in the Old Testament, his mockery, not only of Israel, but of Israel's God, left King Saul and the entire Israelite army paralyzed. And God used David, and David came along, and he told King Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. It's kind of Old Testament language to say, listen, don't be discouraged, King Saul. Don't be weak. Don't fear let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. How often do you and I, even before we really begin fulfilling God's work, do we allow discouragement, do we allow Satan, do we allow the opposition, spiritual opposition, to, to paralyze us before we even begin because of discouragement? It's a pretty effective strategy. All throughout Scripture we see some of the heroes of the faith getting discouraged, wondering what's going to happen, wondering if victory is really possible. second thing we see is intimidation. Notice with me in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 7. See intimidation. Verse 7 says, But when Samballot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. Now, did you notice the opposition has grown more. I mean, there's more in number. So at first it was kind of Sanballat and, and, and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab, but now it's, it's grown even into the Ashtadites. We continue on in verse 8. And they all plotted together to come, not just mock, 
not just jeer, not just criticize, but fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Verse 9, and we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. Notice this phrase, by ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. You know, I would imagine there were some that as they heard those threats, it's not just, okay, wow, they're calling us feeble Jews. Now they're saying, listen, we're going to mount an attack, a physical attack against you, and you won't even see it coming, and we will kill you and stop the work. So I would imagine some of them began to think, is this wall really worth it to me? Is this really worth risking my life? Did God call us to do it? Well, Nehemiah thinks so, and it appears that maybe God's working, but is it worth losing my life? Verse 12, at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us, how many times? Ten times. I think that's a pretty good indication. There's some, there's some worry here. Hey, Nehemiah. Hey, Nehemiah. Ten times. You need to come back to us. We need help in our section here of the, of the construction project. You may remember Elijah who also faced some intimidation. Elijah had had some phenomenal spiritual victories, calling down fire from heaven and things, and he had some phenomenal spiritual victories. But notice with me in 1 Kings 19 and verse 13 through 16. 1 Kings 19, 13 through 16. As we become aware of some of these strategies of the opposition, uh, Satan being the, the, the chief opposer, even with men like Elijah and groups like Nehemiah was leading, maybe, maybe it will help us to be prepared and to counterattack these strategies. We see Elijah in verse 13, And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Just to give you some context, he's had a huge victory but then Jezebel is after him and he flees. He's scared, even though he's seen God work in a, in a miraculous way. He, he runs away from Jezebel. And now God is, is encountering him and communicating with him. And, and notice what happens. Behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, Elijah answered, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. Notice this. And I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Now, as we look back, we can maybe look at this in a different light and go, oh, you know, poor Elijah. But I probably would have done the very same thing. I probably would have thought the very same thoughts, like, God, are you here? Is anybody else here? Or am I the only one, really? So we see the Lord in verse 15 answer and said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of 
Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Was Elijah the only one? Yes or no? No, he wasn't. It was intimidation. Elijah began to believe what the opposition was trying to make him believe was that he was the only one left. You and I will face this in different contexts. You, you, students, as you've just finished school, maybe this last semester you felt like, am I the only one in this school who's a follower of Jesus Christ? Maybe in your neighborhood you may feel like you're the only family that's the follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe at times, even in our city, we may feel like we are, we are one of, of some, several churches, but there's not a big group who are really following Jesus Christ. We may feel that way. Intimidation. Are you intimidated by what can appear to be overwhelming odds? God calls you to a task and gives you clarity on that, even provides some things and gives you some, some signs and, and ways that he's working but then you begin to count the cost. And you begin to think, wow, can I really do this? Is this really possible? Could it be that, that God really is leading me to do this? Intimidation. Another strategy we see is distraction. Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Distraction. We're going to circle back and we're going to look at Nehemiah's responses to these strategies. So I want to look first on kind of the attacks and how the opposition uh, tried to stop the work. So thirdly, we, hear, we see here distraction, Nehemiah 6, 1 through 4. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together. At Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. So at first glance, it could have appeared that, okay, maybe they're ready to negotiate. Maybe as we've made some progress, maybe Sam Ballot and his crew, you know, are, are kind of ready to, to negotiate, kind of back off a little bit. But it's just a distraction. And as we see Nehemiah already having prayed to the Lord, even when he was overwhelmed by fear in chapter 1, he prayed directly to God. And throughout the book, we see time and time again that Nehemiah goes before God. And so when we see things like, but they intended to do me harm, well, how did he know that? Well, God helped him to understand that. God helped him to see. This is just a distraction, Nehemiah. This is just a distraction. You know, we know from Scripture that Solomon was one of the wisest men who ever lived. Yet, unfortunately, Solomon did not always exercise the great wisdom that God gave him. And through the book of Ecclesiastes, we see Solomon record in so many different ways the futile and vain and empty attempts that he tried to discover satisfaction through excessive riches, through building projects, through pleasure, uh, through women, all of these things that Solomon tried and, and unfortunately in those areas obviously did not exercise the wisdom that God had gifted him. We see his conclusion that all these things are vanity, empty, meaningless. They're distractions. I think this is probably one of the most uh, 
effective strategies of the opposition in the United States of America today is distraction. So often that we as followers of Jesus Christ follow so many other things so easily. And we get distracted so easily that so many other things can take priority. And not only in, in America do we have convenient stores, but we have convenient Christians. We have convenient churches. And if it fits in my schedule and if I can work everything else around it, then okay. Then I'll spend time in God's Word then yes, I'll reach out to those who are lost and who don't know Christ as their Savior. And yes, I'll gather with the church family if it's convenient and if it fits in my schedule. If not, well, then, then we're distracted. We see Nehemiah, we'll see a response later, but he, he basically says, no, why, why should I leave? Why should I leave now in the work that God has called me to do? Another element that we see is false accusations still in Nehemiah chapter 6. Look with me in verses 5 through 9. Nehemiah 6 and verses 5 through 9. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. Okay, so normally in that day there would be sealed letters. If it was an official communication, it would be a sealed letter. But this is an open letter. And it's open on purpose because Sanballat's goal is that that not only would the letter just be open, but that it would be read and spread. That people would spill the tea, as some people use that phrase now. This was, I think, kind of the Old Testament version of social media. Hey, Nehemiah, look at this. This is an open letter. Everybody's hearing what's in this letter, and he goes on. And it was written, Nehemiah 6 and verse 6, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. Now, is any of that true? No. Nehemiah, in fact, was very careful when he came before the king, King Artaxerxes, asking for permission, gave a time that he would return the king, you may remember, asked, you know, how long are you going to be gone? And, and what are you going to do? And, and we see Nehemiah does return. So Nehemiah's goal is not to become their king. Verse 7, and you have also set up prophets to, to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now, come and let us take counsel together. False accusations. You know, Jesus was falsely accused. The works that he did, the religious elite accused Jesus of doing those in the, in the power of Satan, Beelzebub. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, who uh, did persecute the church but was miraculously saved, and then he became persecuted. And as he visited churches and planted churches and established leadership, his motives and his methods were questioned and he was falsely accused so when you and I as we're doing God's work if our motives are questioned if our motives are falsely accused or if we're falsely accused we're in good company that's part of the strategy of the opposition now as humans and those all of us that we have wicked hearts by nature we need to always keep in check why am I doing this am I doing this for my fame am I doing this for just my satisfaction 
But we see that Nehemiah, throughout the book, he is honestly trying to, to fulfill God's call on his life and lead others to do the same. But yet, he's falsely accused. Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 10 through 14, we see a similar strategy here, defamation. Defamation. Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 10 through 14, they will try to defame his character. Verse 10, now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, so this is, a, this is a fellow Jew, that's important to note, the son of Deliah, son of Mehedabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the door of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. Once again, at first glance, it may seem that Man, this, is a, this is a guy who's interested in my safety. This is a fellow Jew, and he, he show, he's showing concern for me, and he's even appealing to, to the temple, of going to the temple. Now, based on Nehemiah's response, it seems to indicate this wasn't just like going into the temple, but even going into the Holy of Holies, because Nehemiah will respond later and say, you know, what, I, the man that I am, I'm not, I can't go in to that place. Basically saying, I am not a priest. I'm not qualified to go in to the holy of holies. But notice verse 11. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had sent him. Now, once again, um, it wasn't, he didn't get an email you know, from God, or, or a quick text. He's in, he's in tune. He's talking with God. He's communicating with the Lord, and the Lord shows, shows him. He gives him some discernment. I thank God that, that God has put the Holy Spirit within us, and we should pray. We should be open and sensitive to his voice as we face opposition. God, give me wisdom. Help me to know how to navigate this. Help me to know what steps to take. Lord, I can't tell the, the heart and the motives of others, but God, you know, so give direction, please. Shut doors where they need to be shut. Open others where they need to be opened. I believe that was Nehemiah's way of life. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. For this purpose, he was hired, notice, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. If they could defame or cause Nehemiah's followers, the other Jews, to question his courage and to question his character, they would be a long way further in stopping the work. Because if he would run at just this threat that may be true or may not be true, then the other Jews would go, wow, that's our, that's our fearless leader. I, 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 the whole world has been amazed at the president of Ukraine's resolve and courage in the face of phenomenal destruction, war. He, he, stood, he stood firm. We need to continue to pray for him. But it's examples like Nehemiah, it's examples like President of Ukraine. I'm not talking about spiritually, but in that sense where we're faced with opposition, 
And, and the question will be, will we run? Or are we going to stand our ground and say, God, help me to stand firm? Do you consistently seek the Lord's face as you, as these opposition comes your way? Are you like Nehemiah, Lord, praying and, and being open and sensitive, saying, God, lead me, give me guidance? What are you tempted to run away from in relation to the responsibilities that God has called you to? Maybe it's even in parenting. Parenting is, is awesome, but it's hard. It's a huge opportunity and privilege, but it's a tremendous responsibility. Do you run from that? Are you, are you afraid of what all that is going to entail? God can help you to move forward. Lastly, we see in Nehemiah chapter 6, 17 through 19, we see deception. Nehemiah 6, 17 through 19. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah. So these should be respected people. These should be people who, who should be influential in the cause. But that's not the case. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him. Remember, Tobiah is an enemy. He's opposition. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era. This is a prominent Jewish family. And his son Jehonan, Jehohanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. So Tobiah, even though he's an enemy, he has intermarried and he has influence among the Jews, even some of the Jews who were respected and even involved in the work, Tobiah is, is kind of a double, double agent, it seems. And many are kind of tied to him and are, are sending letters back and forth with Tobiah. Verse 19, also they spoke of his, Tobiah's, good deeds in my presence, and reported my words to him. Oftentimes, internal opposition or friendly fire hurts the most. As we're trying to do God's will, we're trying to do God's work, and maybe some who we think will, will, will help us to do it, sometimes that's where the opposition comes from, and we still need to be resolved as Nehemiah, we'll see that Nehemiah was to move forward by faith. Continue on. Sometimes those who are nearest to us can hurt us the most. Are you, have you been disappointed maybe? Have you been tempted to, to resolve to, to vengeance, resort to vengeance and to bitterness? Well, that's one of the elements and the strategies of Satan's opposition of deception. Maybe it's a close friend. Maybe it's a family member, maybe even a child, perhaps even someone in your church family. That as, as we are sinners, we can allow ourselves to become opposition to one another. And we can experience great deception. Like, wow, God, God, is it worth it? Is this worth it? Now we'll look at Nehemiah's response to overcome the opposition. Response to discouragement. Go back with me to Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. 
You see Nehemiah's response. So Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Hear, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt. Let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So Nehemiah declared right off their dependence on God. Even though they're, they're jeering, they're mocking, they're calling us feeble Jews, they're, they're criticizing the type of work we're doing, saying that even if a fox went on top, it would fall down. But we are going to depend on God. Nehemiah prayed for God to, in essence, silence the enemies. Now in verse 6 and 7, we, we see that that didn't happen, but God answered prayer in another way. Notice how God answered prayer in verse 6 of Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. So we built the wall. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. God did not immediately silence the opposition, but yet he fortified and he unified the group of Jews under Nehemiah's direction to put their hand to work, and they got it halfway up very quickly. Sometimes we will pray, God, take me out of this opposition. Take the opposition away. But many times God will answer and will respond in giving us strength to continue to face the opposition for his glory. We need to notice that that's still an answer to prayer. He may not answer the prayer that we've prayed in the way that we want it to be answered, but God answered in a phenomenal way that even in the face of opposition, he unified these Jews, they put their hand to work, and the wall's already built halfway up. Response to discouragement then is dependence on God and perseverance for God. Response to intimidation. Look with me in Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 7 through, through 9. Nehemiah prayed, but he also prepared. Verse 7 of Nehemiah chapter 4. When Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God. First step, we prayed to our God. That's a huge lesson. It's a, it's a huge lesson to me. That often is not my first step. A lot of times my first step is, how can I solve this? What can I do to solve this problem? What can I do to make this right? And Nehemiah, just, again, goes back and says, well, we need God. So we're going to pray to God, but he didn't just pray. He also prepared. It says, we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Secondly, we see that Nehemiah appointed them to look to God for power and protection instead of themselves. Notice with me in verse 10 of Nehemiah chapter 4. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. 
we can be tempted to think just like they did and go, you know, I can't, I can't do this. The rubble is too great. The problems within my family are too, too vast. The lostness of my neighborhood, of my school, of my city, of, of this state, of our country is too great. What difference can I make? What difference can One Hope Church make in the, in the face of such opposition? We could think, wow, there's too much rubble. Maybe like them, you've at times said, by ourselves, we will not be able to do this work. By ourselves, we will not be able to do this work. This is the, their inward look on self. They're looking to themselves for power. They're looking to themselves, and they come to a point where they're, they're, their strength is failing. They're coming to the end of the rope, and they're basically saying, listen, we are tired, we're exhausted. Now, the wall's already been half built. So it's important to note that there's, there's been some victory here, there's been some progress, but yet, many times, halfway through, is sometimes the most difficult part is to continue going, even after some previous victories. We see that the inward look on self, but then we also see the upward look to God in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 14. Nehemiah 4 and verse 14 says, Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. I've shared with you some in the past, but it it continues to, I remember this often, when dad was in one of his lowest times in ministry in his life, one of the studies that encouraged him the most and helped him to respond to opposition was going through the names of God. Jehovah Jireh, God Almighty, our fortress, Emmanuel, God with us, and rehearsing This is the type of God I serve. I don't serve a weak God. I don't serve an absent God. But I serve a God who is present. He's strong. He loves me. He's personal. This is the type of God that I serve. So Nehemiah is saying, listen, quit looking at yourself. Your strength is failing. You're at the end of your rope. You can't do any more. Great. That's where God wants you to be because now he wants you to depend on him to complete the work that he's called you to do see that Nehemiah is pointing them to look to God. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, Nehemiah 4, 14. And then verse 15, God had frustrated their plan. You see that phrase? And then in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 20, our God will fight for us. It's the upward look to God. But we also see the forward look to action. The forward look to action, Nehemiah chapter 4. Let's go back to verses 6 and 7 just to get a little bit of context and then we'll look at verse 13. So Nehemiah chapter 4 verses 6 and 7. So we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. So big progress, celebration, but then notice, but when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed. They were very angry and they plotted against us. Nehemiah continues to look out for ongoing opposition to God's work. 
Many of you have probably seen it. If you're, if you're interested in sports at all, you've seen teams who in the last seconds of a game on a floor like this, a few seconds left, it's a tie ball game. They go down and they, they get a shot and they begin to celebrate because they think they've won the game. But after that, then the team takes it out of bounds, lobs it down to, to a good shooter, comes, does a three-point, and in the very last second, the team wins and beats the other team who thought they had already won the game. Oftentimes, our coach would always tell us, whether it was in football, basketball, uh, I, I told our, our little soccer players, play to the whistle. You don't stop. Play to the last whistle. And as believers, we need to play to the last whistle. We can't live in past successes. We can't just be satisfied. Okay, this is what's happened. We need to understand Satan is still at work. And if his strategy of discouragement didn't work, then he's going to try intimidation. If that didn't work, then he's going to try defamation. If, he's going to, if that doesn't work, he'll try a lot of different strategies to get you to be discouraged and to stop. Keep looking for opposition. But he also continued to look up to God for continued strength and guidance. Notice with me in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 13. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. We'll see in verse 14. Last part of verse 14. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And then notice... And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. It's a forward look to action. And then in verse 15, all the way through verse 23, we won't read all these verses, but I want you, I'd encourage you to read them later. And basically, Nehemiah it tells them, this is what you need to have one hand building and another hand with a sword. And, and together, we work together. So much so that he says, listen, we need you to stay in Jerusalem tonight. And they even said, we didn't even, we didn't even take baths. We, we kept our clothes on, our work clothes. We stayed ready. So it was a forward look to action. Well, there's a lot ahead of us, I, I believe, that God has for you individually to do, apart from One Hope Church. But there's also a lot that God wants us as a church family to do as we move forward. God has shown his hand in some mighty ways in the last couple of years through some extreme circumstances, but that's in the past. We need to thank God. We need to have a good memory to call on what God has already done, but then it's a call to action. Lord, help us to move forward. Help me individually to move forward. So we look to God for continued strength and guidance. Notice with me in Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Nehemiah's response to distraction. They said in Nehemiah 6 and verse 2, Come, let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. So in verse 3 it says, I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. Remain focused, stay committed, take the next step. Nehemiah, he remained focused, he stayed committed, and he looked forward to, okay, what's the next step? Let's move on. We see a response to false accusations in Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. After the open letter, 
after the accusations that the Jews intended to rebel, that Nehemiah wanted to become king, notice in Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 8. Then I sent to him saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, again, a prayer and a plea to God, but now, O God, strengthen my hands. We see that in response to false accusations, there was a confidence that God is our judge and not others. God is our judge and not others. As you stay in God's word, as you are open to the Holy Spirit, if you are are working for him and to please him, and others maybe question your motives, or even those who aren't followers of Christ, completely distort what you're trying to do, God's the ultimate judge. God knows, and that's enough. Confidence that God is our judge and not others. Courage to state the truth. Courage to state the truth. Yes, there's tremendous opposition. Yes, there's a completely different worldview that goes against what we, what we see in Scripture that God teaches. And well, we as believers have the courage to state the truth, even when it's not popular. And then lastly, we see Nehemiah's response to defamation and deception. Whether it was Shemaiah who said, hey, you know, come into, to the temple You're going to be killed tonight. Or even the nobles who earlier, Nehemiah had called them out and said that the nobles would not stoop to do God's work. And then now we see why. Because many of those nobles were hand in hand with Tobiah, sending letters back and forth and trying to play both sides. A couple things that we can learn from Nehemiah's response. First, we see a desire to understand God's will more than man's wisdom. We see a desire to understand God's will more than man's wisdom. Shemaiah appeared to be a friend. He showed concern. But Nehemiah continued to consult the Lord. God, what is it? Give me wisdom. Help me to know. And Nehemiah says, I understood that he intended harm for me. We see a dedication to trust God's way more than man's way. Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 11. But I said, should such a man as I run away, and what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. Now in verse 11, the first part, I do not believe that Nehemiah is responding in an arrogant way. I don't think Nehemiah was saying, should a man such as I run away? No, I think Nehemiah was humbly saying, after all that God has done, after God moved the heart of King Artaxerxes, after God paved the way and sent officers to protect me all the way here to Jerusalem, after God opened the door of the forest to provide the timber for this project, should a man such as I, after all that God has done, run away? I ask you, should a man such as I a woman such as you, family such as ours, with the certainty that we have that God has called us to an important and God-honoring task. Should we run away? Should we stand down? Should we be quiet? Should we just fit in? Should we just be tolerant? No. 
It's not to be arrogant, but we need to be humbly but courageously pressing forward, saying, God, I will not run away. You have called us to live for you. So we see a dedication to trust God's way more than man's way, a remembrance of God's power, his provision, his protection, but also a choice to fear God more than man. Nehemiah 6.14 says, they did this because they wanted to make me afraid. So he, he, know, he saw the strategy. This is just to cause me to fear. But I'm going to fear God more than I fear men. See in Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 5, what I've already made mention to, their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. It's easy for us sometimes to look to, to those that we think will be more influential, to those that we think can do greater, uh, greater good and great, have a greater impact. But you know, God oftentimes doesn't work that way. And sometimes we even look at ourselves and, and question, God, you, you really want to use me? Well, 1 Corinthians says that, yeah, he wants to use the, wise, or the, the unwise, he wants to use the weak to confound the strong. It's oftentimes how God, God works. So a desire to understand God's will more than man, man's wisdom, a dedication to trust God's way more than man's way. Then lastly, we see a decision to allow God to be the righteous judge. Jump ahead to Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 19. Nehemiah 5 and verse 19. We see a decision to allow God to be the righteous judge. As Nehemiah faced external opposition, and even as Nehemiah faced, faced internal opposition, he left it up to God to be the judge. He didn't try to seek vengeance. He didn't become bitter and just stop and walk away and say, God, if this is, if this is what you've called me to, I'm done. It's not, it's not worth it. But he kept going because he chose to trust in God as a righteous judge. Notice Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 19. Remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. This is the first of four similar prayers that Nehemiah makes in the book of Nehemiah. Remember, oh my God, you're the one. I can't change Sambalat. I can't change Tobiah. I can't change the Ashtadites. I can't change the nobles who should be with me. I can't change uh, the, the, you know, Shemaiah, the other guy who called me to his home and appeared to be a friend. I can't change them, God. But Lord, I call to you, remember, oh my God, what I've done. You're the righteous judge. Result, I want to close with Nehemiah 6, verses 15 and 16. So the wall was finished. Oh, that's, power, that's powerful. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. Notice this, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished. With the phenomenal leadership of Nehemiah and the great building crew of the Jews. Is that what it says? No. May God help each one of us as we have victories individually, as we have victories as parents, as we have victories, victories professionally,
as we're living for Christ, even in the professional world, victories as students, as athletes, may we have this same attitude and say, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God and give all glory to him. It's not if you will face opposition, but it's when and how you'll face it.